1: And gentlemen, welcome to AOA. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate being included as a part of your day. And what a day it's shaping up to be. We're going to cover a lot of different issues on today's program. We're going to kick it off with the markets with Paul Dubrovic from ATI here in just a moment. Before we go to the diesel fuel business, in segment two with Alan Schaefer, the executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum. In segment three, Joe Scheele, Communications Director with the U.S. Meat Export Federation is going to join us with a little bit of a victory lap for the meat exports we saw in 2022. And then finally, we're going to wrap today, taking a look at the weather in the days ahead. It's going to be a busy couple of days for our friends in the Northern Plains. Greg Solier, meteorologist from This Week in Agribusiness, will join us at the end of the program to look at what could be coming out of the sky. Before we jump into all of that, however, let's break down these markets. Paul Dubrovic joins us today. Paul, we saw the bean market really go on a tear yesterday, but it looks like we're stepping back from that action today. Is that how it's shaping up?
2: Yeah, sure, sure deal uh, on that, Mike. So yesterday, basically, we came off the, uh, you know, the President's Day holiday, and we were basically saw uh, the threat of a potential frost um, hitting some areas of Argentina. Looks like Uh, those frost damage estimates or maybe more of the catastrophic event that people were looking for did not materialize and we actually saw some nice unexpected rains in parts of the driest areas of Argentina here overnight which has actually put a little bit of pressure across the board on markets. so generally speaking yesterday's you know market coming in uh, on the Monday you know Monday night into Tuesday had an uptick based on fears of some damage on the crop. Those, again, didn't materialize. There are some pockets and there's some pictures out on the internet and Twitter showing some damage in areas, but nothing nothing as catastrophic as maybe the market had feared.
1: All right, so we're bouncing back a little bit from that. Paul, you mentioned those rains providing some relief for those Argentinian growers, but I'm curious how much good can rain do this late in the growing season down there in Argentina?
2: yeah, Mike, that's a great question. And for the later planted varieties or the this you know the crop that did get planted later in the season, obviously there will be a, a beneficial boost to that. But again, like you said, uh, it's probably rains at this point maybe stabilizes further loss in the overall crop, helps a little bit of that later planted crop potentially add you know a little bit of boost in 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 late yield uh, production. Uh, coming in.
1: All right. So we've got those rains coming across South America. I imagine then, Paul, those have moved into Brazil where soybean harvest is underway. Have we heard what progress looks like in that
2: country? Sure. Brazil bean harvest right now is running somewhere between 23 and 25 percent as of the end of last week. Um, That's down from about 33 percent last year. So the good thing is, is the crop is getting harvested um, maybe a slightly slower than last year. The bigger issue is going to be coming in, Mike, is how does that affect that second season Safrina crop? And as of Thursday of last week, we had about 40% of that crop in the ground, which is off from 53% from last year. But feels like we will get harvest kind of rolling along in a little bit more, uh, you know, overall smooth fashion and, and maybe get the Safrina harvest or this the, the Safrina planting uh completed in, in due time.
1: Paul, that Safrina planting, you mentioned potentially as much as forty percent done here this past week. Do we have a handle on how many acres those Brazilians are going to try to put in the ground here for that Safrina crop?
2: It, it looks like those acres are going to be slightly higher overall, but again, much like what happens here in the U.S., we got to kind of wait and see. I mean, effectively, we've got less than half the crop in the ground, or arguably maybe we'll be up to slightly over half by the end of this week. So, generally speaking, acreage will be, you know, steady to slightly higher. Um, again, have to see what the, west of the uh, rest of the weather brings.
1: That's what it's all about, Paul. But in the meantime, that old crop corn is watching that seven dollar mark, trading today at six seventy five and change. What are the odds that we could kiss that seven dollar level here before that safrina crop matures?
2: Well, the big question I think on that is going to be, you know, what do we see for export demand here for a while, and do we see any left hooks coming in um, the the Ukraine grain corridor? uh meetings are going to start sometime within the next oh, week to week to 10 days here and so the question is going to be is does the un uh and the russians and the ukraine when they sit down for the negotiations do we extend the the agreement it looks like by all indications right now that's going to be done big question is going to be too you know do we see any left hooks also coming in one one of the other side notes is it does look like we will see an interest rate a you know, quarter percent interest rate hike again, uh, potentially announced this week, which again would strengthen the U.S. dollar and, and probably be a little bearish U.S. commodity. So the market's been overall pretty flat, though, Mike, as I'm sure you've seen. And it just doesn't it seems like whenever we get up into that 680 type level on the March, it seems to seems to just hold that cap and, and not want to reach above that.
1: And Paul, you mentioned those left hooks. They have been coming fast and furious for the past three years here in the commodity markets, that inflation battle that the Fed is waging. You mentioned another quarter percent interest hike. Is there the possibility that could accelerate here as we get farther
2: into spring and summer? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the as far as the interest rate hike or what, uh,
1: yeah, from the Fed's, uh, Fed's interest rate, they dropped it to a quarter percent jumps, but now with labor markets heating right. up, going to go back to 50 basis or 75 basis point hits coming out later this spring?
2: Uh, who knows, right? Who knows what the Fed's going to do? But I, I, I'm sure we've all read the numerous reports from other different uh, opinions saying that we'd have to get maybe close to a 6% rate. Federal rate before you know things would maybe get eased back. Who knows? But I think we all would agree that uh, inflation is far from being maintained at current levels, and and maybe a a slightly higher uptick in rates would be would be warranted in the coming months.
1: It'll be interesting to see how the Fed parses all of this data. And I want to bring it back to the the Ukrainian grain corridor and the potential with that. Paul, we're seeing a lot of weakness today in the wheat market, particularly hard red wheat. Is this being driven by those corridor discussions?
2: I think what's happening on the wheat side of the equation is we are seeing this recent storm system that's rolling across the United States, potentially leaving some beneficial rains in parts of the western hard red winter wheat region. So I think that's a big part of it, but there certainly is a little bit to be said for maybe some minds at ease that the the agreement will get extended.
1: Okay. Well, that makes some sense, Paul. I did want, before we let you go, to jump into the protein sector just briefly. Saw a big rally in the hog markets yesterday. Today we're giving some of it back. What's developing there in the lean hog trade?
2: Well, I think, you know, yesterday, one of the things we saw kind of an unseen scenario where the cash contract values for cutouts were higher. And I think that definitely stimulated an upward move in lean hogs. I mean, we saw basically a 61% retracement of the move and it was, you know, kind of a tech buying uh, type rally that was partially maybe stimulated by the cash contract values being higher. But you know it is that time of the year kind of that seasonal demand begins to kick in where you know the weather gets a little bit better and uh, you know people start uh, looking for opportunities for uh, to start the cookouts and 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 whatnot. Noteworthy that the Akadese uh, hogs actually traded at new contract highs yesterday so you know there's some opportunities out forward for some advantageous pricing opportunities if if people are looking out that far forward.
1: They sure are folks we've been talking with Paul Dubrovic from ATI Paul thank you so much for joining us today and folks stay tuned more AOA coming up after this.
0: Hi this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up. Pride it runs deep for those in agriculture, but that pride can also
3: prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org.
4: Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake.
5: We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn
4: just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals.
5: For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at
4: cornsprint.com.
6: Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers
1: need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. We certainly appreciate being included in your operation and helping you think about our industry as we look out to the future. And as we look out to the future, one of the next things to be upon us as an industry will be spring planting time, and we are going to be fueling up machinery across this country with diesel fuel to get that crop in the ground so i figured this might be a great time to check in on the health of the diesel industry joining us for an update we are speaking next with alan schaefer he's the executive director of the diesel technology forum they've been doing some work assessing how the american people are feeling about this fuel and planning for its future alan thank you so much for joining us today
9: mike it's great to be with you thanks for having us
1: Before we dive into the future of diesel technology, Alan, could you give us an update? What is the Diesel Technology Forum? Who all are you working with? And what are you trying to do out there in the world of policy?
9: Sure thing. Well, this is our 23rd year, and the forum was established as a way to educate folks about all the great things happening to diesel technology, how it works today, and what it looks like for the future. So we've been talking about the economic importance of diesel to different sectors in the global economy, and the ag sector is right on the top of that list. Um, In addition to construction, goods movement, uh, power generation, marine, rail, freight transport, uh, I think folks really uh, understand and sometimes take for granted, frankly, that. Diesel is really the lifeblood of our global economy, and the ag sector, uh, more than two-thirds of all the largest machines and equipment out there are, are powered by diesel, and uh, that's a trend that we expect to continue well into the future.
1: You know, that's a really good point. This is a trend that we expect to continue into the future. Alan, if we could spend just a moment, what is it about diesel that that fuels technology, so to speak, that makes it so valuable in today's modern age?
9: Well, it's all about the, about the power density that uh, this technology delivers. And diesel fuel has about 10 to 12% more energy per gallon than gasoline. And the diesel engine burns that fuel much more efficiently. Uh, so that's why we see large machines and equipment uh, using diesel, because they can do more work with less fuel. And that means fewer emissions for, uh, for our environment as well
1: okay so that's where the diesel comes in it certainly has a home in in heavy usage environments and we see that continuing but of course we also see a policy push towards electric vehicles reducing carbon impact on the environment i understand diesel technology forum recently ran a survey alan could you fill us in on how americans as consumers really are feeling about diesel technology
9: sure thing mike you know we we know uh, all of us know and particularly farmers um you know the climate's changing you're you're seeing it every day you're living it every day you're trying to make adjustments every day and uh so are governments and and the private sector manufacturers of engines and equipment are are trying to understand that as well and we wanted to know what the american people are thinking about um, when it comes to how our country is approaching some of these issues uh, on the policy side and what they think about diesel. We we wanted to find that out, so we commissioned a survey, and it was done uh, just uh, around the mid-year, uh, excuse me, the midterm elections, so it was done in, in early November of last year, so uh, it uh, was a snapshot in time, both of voters and of non-voters, folks that went to the polls and, and those who did not. Um, and so it was about 2,500 Americans. It was balanced by geography, by sex, by race, by every, every demographic you can imagine. So it was a very balanced survey. And it was very straightforward. We wanted to, we wanted to know the answers really to just three questions. Um, we wanted to, to find out what Americans think when it comes to um, how we should approach this challenge of climate change and whether a market-based approach and consumer choice is favored, or uh, do folks prefer? Excuse me, prefer um, uh, mandates or, or other kinds of approaches uh, that only favored new technologies?
1: And, and the, uh, can we can we dive into that a little bit well, uh, based on on the survey question? What was the response from the American people? Are they pro uh, government mandates to get this done?
9: Well, when it comes to fuel and energy policies, Americans really expressed strong support for market-based approaches. Consumer choice and incentives—they um, really didn't like the idea of mandates and penalties, uh, trying to force behavior one way or the other. It was very much an idea of let's let's let them let's put it out there, let's let the market decide what's the best uh, what's the best approach. Um, and so they prefer more of a carrot than a stick approach, you might say.
1: And if I understand it correctly, I mean that approach at the policy level would allow for a number of different fuels to compete uh, fairly, I guess, in the marketplace. Is that how you envision it?
9: That's that's exactly right, and that that is what is what is trying to happen today to some extent. I think there is uh, an effort really to though put the finger on the scale, so to speak, favoring uh, one or more technologies over others. And I think that survey or this survey, you know, highlights why that may not be the best best approach that, that Americans support.
1: All right. Let's turn the focus to climate change. Of course, around the midterm election time period, that was on everybody's mind. I understand you asked folks about dealing with climate change. What was the uh, what was the consensus there?
9: We did. We gave them three three choices and asked, who are you most like? Um, are you like a group that says we should only invest in fuels and technologies that are zero carbon emissions today, like 100% electric vehicles? And that means there should be no more investment in uh, fossil fuels or internal combustion engines. And 19% of the people agreed with that, uh, that best described them. Um, other categories though, thought we should invest only in making the fuels and technologies we have today work better and be more efficient. Um, And they were concerned about uh, dependence on new fuels and technologies because they're so far out in the future and have too many uncertainties. Twenty-two percent felt that way. And then the last group that folks associated with, and this is where the majority landed, uh, 60 percent of the respondents thought we should do both. that means making the fuels and technologies we have today work better, like diesel. And also focus on the fuels and technologies that are zero emissions, like electric, all electric and and hydrogen and dimethyl ether and all these other new fuels and technologies that might play a role in the future. So Americans want to see, you know, um, let's do both. Let's make the fuels and technologies we have today work better. But sure, let's invest in the future and see where that takes us.
1: You know, as an industry, the diesel business is sort of doing both right now. We're seeing that investment in cleaner, renewable diesel. Can you talk to us about how that's developing as an industry? Are we seeing that supply continue to increase?
9: So important, Mike. Renewable fuels and, and uh, biodiesel and unique blends of biodiesel and, and renewable diesel are really critical to the future uh, and the sustainability of the internal combustion engine. And we asked Americans about that and what do they think point blank about diesel engines and climate change. And 18% of the respondents said, you know, they're, they're part of the major part of the problem and we should move away from them no matter what, even if they're the best choice for particular use. But the majority of respondents, and this is where we get to 82% of the people, thought that diesel engines should continue to play a major role in the future, and particularly if they were using renewable fuels. Um, And so I think that uh, that bodes pretty well with what's happening in uh, in in the ag sector i know that uh, we have uh, tremendous support in in the agricultural community for uh, for biodiesel for a long time a lot of ground has been plowed there and now we're just seeing that explode with greater volumes and and hope for the future and the diesel engine is really a technology that's straddling where we are today and and where we want to go in the future with uh, with cleaner lower emissions low carbon technology the diesel can deliver both and renewable fuels are a key part of that
1: Alan, to that end, diesel engines delivering both as you look out over the next, say, five to 10 years as we continue to have this energy source discussion, what sort of policy issues are in the way for diesel engine manufacturers or the diesel fuel industry as a whole?
9: Well, I think manufacturers are clearly committed to uh, helping uh, meet the challenge of climate change. And they're, in addition to making the diesel engines we have today more efficient and lower in emissions, they're also looking to bring on new technologies and think about ways to combine things like hybrid um, technologies, uh, battery powering some components on a tractor or an implement and downsizing the diesel engine maybe. Um, And so those kind of strategies are are popping up all over the place. And we do see manufacturers looking for uh, and investing in uh, some all electric solutions in some applications, um, but ag sector, particularly large acreage, um, heavy, heavy use, um, it's going to be very difficult to find a suitable replacement for diesel and particularly in the near term. So that's why keeping to make the diesel engine more efficient and, and better for farmers is, is really key. To helping solve this climate challenge.
1: It certainly is, especially as these discussions begin with a new Congress in Washington, DC. Alan, if we've got listeners who, well, a lot of our listeners, of course, use diesel fuel day in and day out, if they want to keep up to speed with the technology and the policy focus of the diesel engine industry, can you tell us where we can learn more from the Diesel Technology Forum?
9: Sure, visit our website at www.dieselforum.org
1: dieselforum.org. Folks, stay up to date, up to speed on this sector. It is so important for the industry of agriculture and so much in how we move goods across this country. We've been speaking with Alan Schaefer, the Executive Director of the Diesel Technology Forum. And Alan, thank you so much for joining us today.
9: Have a great day, Mike.
1: Folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we're going to be digging into meat exports. Our friends from the U.S. Meat Export Federation will join us with a little bit of a victory lap over 2022. Stay here for more AOA.
8: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we take a look at the market trade on Wednesday, Kansas City wheat is leading the losses with moderate losses seen in corn and soybeans. Wheat markets seeing pressure in KC wheat with beneficial moisture hitting winter wheat areas as we come out of dormancy. That crop has seen plenty of challenges, so a little bit of uh, beneficial rainfall could potentially help. There's more to come next week. We're seeing some rains falling in Texas and Oklahoma early on Wednesday. Seven-day forecast promising more moderate precipitation as well for that dry hard red winter wheat belt. Corded soybeans down moderately as the commodity markets really just faced uh, headwinds from outside markets overnight. That's continuing here this morning into our midday. Stock futures uh, attempting a modest bounce overnight following big losses Tuesday and re-emerging economic worries along with heightened geopolitical risks that are out there. Traders nervous ahead of this afternoon's release of the minutes of the latest Federal Reserve meeting. VIX trading to a new seven-week high just below 24 Early on Wednesday morning, crude oil has been uh, under a little bit of pressure down around a dollar, around that 75.50 mark. Meantime, in livestock, cattle features relatively quiet mixed trade there. We saw a little bit of activity in the north here early this week, but the bulk of cash cattle country trade going to be happening here later this week. Hogs, we saw lower cutouts on Tuesday. That's seemingly impacting the futures trade as we're seeing triple digit losses in the hog market as we work through the session. Overall, quarter beans anywhere from about three to seven lower in quartered soybeans. Moderate losses in bean meal, bean oil. KC wheat's down around 20 cents. Chicago wheat, spring wheat down moderately. Mixed trade in cattle with hogs down again, triple digits. Let's check the markets here on AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting.
10: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's ACretirement.org A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
1: Welcome back ladies and gentlemen to AOA. As we move along here today, we're going to take a moment and celebrate some fantastic export results for the year 2022 for America's protein markets. Joining us on this victory lap is Joe Sheely. He's the vice president of communications over at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And Joe, 2022 certainly was an exciting year in the export business, wasn't it?
11: Yes, it really was. Really a groundbreaking year for U.S. beef exports. And even though Even though pork exports finished the year down a little bit from 2021, finished the year very strong, uh, highlighted by uh, record exports to Mexico. So uh, for the most part, a really, really solid year, overcoming a lot of headwinds.
1: That is the name of the game, overcoming a lot of headwinds. The globe was in disarray. And in spite of that, American producers and processors were able to ship a tremendous amount of protein. Joe, let's dive into some of these full year beef export statistics. If I'm correct, we had both a record in volume and in value of beef exported. Is that right?
11: Right. Uh, Volume was up just a little bit from the previous record, which was set in 2021. We were just short of of one and a half million metric tons, uh, up 2%. Uh, The value double-digit growth there, up 10% to uh, $11.7 billion. So really a a remarkable uh, year for value. We had a a long string of months where we were actually exporting over a billion dollars per month Looked like we might hit that twelve billion dollar mark, but things did slow a little bit in, in November and December. Uh, December was kind of a slow month, especially with a lot of disarray in China. Uh, China was uh, coming out of its of its uh, zero COVID policies, but there was a lot of uh, economic disruption there, and so uh, December uh, a little bit of a slowdown for beef, but still still finishing uh, with record results, and. Um, you know, we look at those those large Asian markets, uh, China, Hong Kong, Korea, Japan. Uh, those certainly contributed to our our growth, uh, and as well as Taiwan. But we had growth in other regions as well. We had some regions really bounce back post COVID, like the Middle East, the Caribbean. Uh, really, a broad-based growth for U.S. Beef.
1: Joe, you mentioned several billion dollar export months here in 2022. I imagine we had a few in 2021, but prior to this big bump up over the last two years, had we seen any billion dollar export months for uh, for beef in history?
11: no the first would have been in late late 2021 i want to say maybe august of 2021 was the first time we cracked a billion dollars in fact it hasn't been that long ago since uh combined beef and pork exports uh reaching a billion dollars in a month was quite an accomplishment so we've we've really seen a rise there uh, but but i think it's also important to look at that volume record because obviously with inflation that will uh that will tend to bump up your values but uh but exceeding those really large volumes from, from 2021, that was uh, that was quite an achievement as well.
1: It certainly was. Joe, as you mentioned, those large Asian economies, of course, China, Hong Kong, Japan, Korea, we've seen them be big buyers throughout the pandemic. And now the, the lodestar, China, is opening up their economy. Have you heard from any of your Chinese USMEF members? How does that economy look here as we, uh, we prepare to see what happens with China now that they've uh, removed their COVID zero policy?
11: well there really is a lot of optimism at the uh, end of 2022 and and in January there was a lot of uncertainty because on one hand you had this great news that the zero covid policies were being eased that there were going to be no no more widespread lockdowns uh that was generating a lot of optimism in the economy but it was happening at the same time as as China's first really bad COVID wave was coming through the country, um, and so nobody could really be certain how how consumers would respond to that, and and just how how uh, how impactful the wave would be. But it appears to have moved through pretty quickly. I wouldn't say that that COVID wave is over, but it just certainly seems to have peaked, and uh, and is is now, uh, I think. Pretty much out of the minds of a lot of the Chinese consumers who have a lot of pent up savings from those months when they were, uh, under some pretty restricted policies. So there's, there's a lot of optimism, particularly for a bounce back in the, the restaurant sector and in, the, in what has been a really beleaguered hospitality sector. I mean, you look at, uh, hotels, catering, the catering business, uh, those have just been, uh, absolutely cratered in in China over the past couple of years, and there's a lot of optimism for those to come back.
1: Joe, as those restaurants hopefully do resume business in China, could we see some pork and pork variety meats resume their shipment into that country, or is their domestic supply coming back online still?
11: Well, their domestic supply, they certainly did bounce back fairly quickly from the uh, from the African swine fever impact. Uh, we saw our, our exports, our pork exports to China, soared in 2020 and in early 2021 as their domestic production was down. Uh, we're not likely to see numbers like that again anytime soon because China's domestic production. They 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 make it a goal to stay as as self sufficient as possible in pork production, and so uh, I don't think we'll see those numbers again. But the good news is. Uh, China really did re-enter the picture for U.S. pork exports in the second half of 2022, and we saw pretty solid numbers there in the second half of the year. And that has an impact uh, that goes beyond China. We also, that's one of the reasons we were able to achieve a value record in Mexico. It keeps our, the prices for the cuts that we send to Mexico, Central America, Colombia, markets like that, because the product mix is similar to what we ship to China uh, having China back in the mix uh, helps helps boost those prices. So, uh, uh, really, even though you look at the year year over year numbers, we're down uh, for China on the pork side. Uh, really, a lot of momentum toward the end of the year. So, we're we're optimistic that it'll be a, a, a pretty solid year for for pork exports to China. And of course, beef demand just in China just continues to grow uh, uh, beyond beyond anyone's expectations. Really, ever since the uh, implementation of the phase one agreement that for the first time in 2020 gave us meaningful access to the Chinese market, Uh, beef demand growth has been exceptional.
1: Absolutely. Once people try that American beef, my goodness, they just can't seem to get enough of it, which is a great problem to have for American cattle producers. But Joe, as we think about the meat demand picture around the world, there's a lot more to it than just China. Central and South America have been great customers for U.S. meat, particularly pork over the past year. How are things looking down south of the border as we prepare for 2023 on the pork side?
11: Well, Colombia has been a really solid market for U.S. pork for a number of years. Um, we shipped a lot of, of product down there as raw material for further processing, but now we're getting more into the retail and food service sector. And we actually also had a record year for beef exports to Colombia. So Colombia has emerged as a really solid beef market as well. In Central America, pork exports in 2022 were down a bit to Central America, but that's in comparison to a a really monster year in 2021, where we set all kinds of records across the region. So still a pretty solid year in Central America. And in fact, pork exports to Central America set a value record in December. So they ended the year with a lot of of momentum there. And another market that has really come on strong for us, uh, both the beef and pork side, is the Dominican Republic. That is just a, an exceptional growth in the DR. The, the pork export growth there has been driven in part by the African swine fever situation, uh, but we've seen a lot of beef, beef export growth there as well. And so we, uh, the DR is a good example of a, of a country that's really bounced back uh, remarkably well from COVID, seeing a lot of demand in the, in the food service and the retail sectors there. So that's another Latin American market that, that really shined in 2022.
1: There certainly is. Mexico, of course, huge jumps. Japan, a good buyer again. You mentioned the Caribbean and the Dominican Republic, that African swine fever uh, interruption down there. Are we seeing that drive purchasing of pork from any other Central American or Caribbean country out of fear
11: of ASF yet, Joe? Well, uh, the, the, DR, uh, the DR, like some other countries, uh, has tried to attract additional suppliers. They waived. We are the only pork supplier that the only major pork supplier that has duty free access to the DR that's through the CAFTA agreement. Um, so we, but we did see increased competition from Canadian and European pork, uh, but the D with the DR waiving import duties on their products in, for part of 2022 but they really didn't see the impact on price that they had hoped to so that decree has now expired and so we we do have another tariff advantage there and this this kind of underscores the importance of some of these some of these free trade agreements that, that have been around a while and so we don't hear about them in the news very often but this is a good example of where that cafta agreement really gives us a price advantage over uh say uh canadian uh, and uh, and European and perhaps even Brazilian pork uh, in Latin America is because we we do have duty-free access across most of the region.
1: Absolutely, Joe. To that end, are there any free trade discussions going on that USMEF is a part of or hopeful will be completed?
11: Well, a a couple of uh, negotiations that we're watching carefully, the Indo-Pacific framework talks, uh, though there's been a couple around those talks, there are some potentially large uh, markets there that we feel like we've had market access obstacles uh, to overcome. Indonesia sticks out as a, as a market that we've, we feel has never really reached its full potential because of some of the market access obstacles there. Uh, the Philippines has very high tariffs. We'd like to see some tariff relief in the Philippines. And right now, those Indo-Pacific talks are not focused on tariffs, but, uh, but the Philippines has shown some willingness willingness the past couple of years to ease tariffs in an effort to fight inflation. And then Vietnam is another country that we uh, we definitely face some some disadvantages in. So those are talks that we, that we certainly have our eye on.
1: Absolutely. It'd be great to keep those places growing in their demand for U.S. protein. Folks, we've been talking with Joe Sheely, the Vice President of Communications at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And Joe, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Folks, stay with us when AOA returns. Meteorologist Greg Solier will join us with a look at the winter storm coming in the days ahead. Stay here for more AOA. Hi,
0: this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
7: Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens.
3: Most people
7: Don't even know it. Eleven million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early.
10: My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that.
7: Make a plan
1: today to get your eyes checked.
10: Visit
12: BrightFocus.org to learn more.
7: Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. we can make a difference bite by bite.
4: Welcome to the 2023 corn sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake.
5: We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead.
4: Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic
5: Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at CornSprint.com.
9: What a great organization, helping families in need like ours
3: It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit FarmRescue.org today.
6: Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 B.C., and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions there are twice as many pigs as there are people in denmark did you also know that china is the world's lead pork producer in 2020 they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat which equates to almost 91 billion pounds so the next time you dive into that plate of bacon know that pork is the world's most consumed meat these farm facts brought to you by the american ag network
12: Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back, and that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries, while serving their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on. And we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at GotYourSix.org. That's GotYourSix.org using the number six.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen to AOA. You know, if there is a weather app that you use that shows watches and warnings across the country, chances are today it is lit up like a Christmas tree. We are seeing some major winter storm action moving across the northern Great Plains. Here to give us an update on that is meteorologist Greg Solier. Greg, fill us in. Who's going to get the action here on Wednesday?
13: Well, I don't know if we can all get this fit in in about a six or seven or eight-minute uh, segment, there, Mike. But we'll we'll do the best we can for you. Yeah, first of those winter weather advisories storm warnings blizzard warnings wind chill warnings wind advisories and i think ultimately even our uh areas in the southern states probably going to be getting into some uh, severe thunderstorm or tornado watch related activities later on this afternoon and into the southeastern states but the extent these warnings for winter storm issues from northern new england uh back all the way into big sky country and from there even parts of uh, idaho then southward all the way into uh, sections of california Northern Arizona, New Mexico, and into West Texas, those West Texas, Oklahoma Panhandle areas, uh, second or third time in as many days, just about high wind related issues there. So you name it, it comes down with everything but the kitchen sink. And I tell you, whenever you get these ranges of temperatures here, you get up towards Bootsjaw, Regina, 25 below on the current air temperature. And there are spots for the Canadian Prairie that were down around 35 below actual air temperatures this morning. In contrast, it's a Springfield, into the southern corn belt and uh, down towards the uh Ozark plateau they are into the 60s this morning and already 70s into the mississippi valley delta region you get that compaction and range of temperatures the winds are trying to balance out the atmosphere surface and up aloft and that's why you get at least one key ingredient to these impressive storm situations that play out across a wide area of the heartland
1: Absolutely, Greg. So as that moisture and warm air collides with that ice cold Arctic air from Canada, it sounds like most of that moisture is going to get wrung out across central, southern Minnesota. Through Wisconsin and on into Michigan, how much snow could those folks anticipate over the next two or three days?
13: Yeah, well, that's just the leading edge of this, mind you, Mike. Uh, and, and it extends into areas of New England and the lower Great Lakes region already this morning. That's just in a, this a little piece or wave or short wave, as we call it, the weather business making its way in that boundary that you pointed out uh, so nicely. Uh, any anytime you uh, precipitate through, uh, whether warm air overrunning the cold surface and cold air aloft or the other way around, uh. You, you generate this moisture in one form or another from the rain of an inch or two over very wet fields of the the drought's over with in the eastern and southern corn belt folks, and we're nibbling away maybe for the wrong reasons in the parts of the northern and central plains and and where the the back end of this storm there are three pieces of energy making their way they'll all coalesce into the Oklahoma Panhandle west uh, Kansas area then make it sweep through the Great Lakes region the next twenty four to thirty hours it's still snowing mind you By, back as far west as uh, Colorado Wyoming in Montana. The bulk of the next round of significant snow kind of centered on the Black Hills, 30 to 35 inches there, still snowing and still another probably 12 hours of snow to come on down. So if you were to pencil in roughly, let's say two or three hours north and south of a line from about Watertown, South Dakota, to the Twin Cities, to out there in Packer Country at Lambeau Field and Green Bay, somewhere within that corridor, wouldn't be surprised that we come up with you know two, two and a half, Almost three feet of snow. Yeah, it snows. Yeah, we get snowstorms in this part of the country. No big deal. But for this caliber type storm, this is going to be a historic one. It's rare that you get individual storms that come up with this magnitude of snow and cold, mind you, and likelihood of blizzard conditions. That snow will accumulate in winds in excess gusting of forty to fifty miles per hour. So, yeah, forget it about travel. No, hopefully you're stored up on the energy side of things the the supply side of things livestock i think are going to take a hit i think we're just beginning to get into the uh, livestock calving season so it gets you from all different directions whether it's travel rural or the livestock sector here over the next uh, probably 48 hours or so.
1: And then, of course, Greg, we've got this snow coming down. But as you mentioned, those ice cold temps up in Canada, I've got a sense they're going to be following along behind from this storm event.
13: Yeah, there's really almost three separate steering currents. There's energy out of the southwestern states, uh, kind of a tropical branch. Uh, there are systems that are uh, kind of swinging their way through the polar branch. Mind you, we've had snow and and, and ice all the way to the Pacific coastline of Washington State in the past couple of days and then you get the arctic branch of air whenever you get those to marry up that's how you get the storm development so but these blasts of cold are relatively short-lived in quotes uh, unless you got to deal with it and it seems like an eternity but just as quickly as you move into this arctic air and sub-zero cold all the way down to the central plains northwestern and western core belt will moderate back in the other direction and anytime you do that you'll make moisture and and just to kind of to cut to the chase here there are two more maybe not the caliber but two more impressive uh, storms, at least in the next five days, come on through. One scheduled over the back end of the weekend, early next week, preceded by wind, a warm.
1: Well, folks, I think we lost Greg there. We'll get him back if we can. Oh, there he is. Hey, Greg, yes. hey, we lost you there for a second. To- well, that's, that's
13: what happens when the phone rings and someone might hey that you're on the air. So-
1: <laughs> that is true. So we got two storms coming through this weekend. Storm bringing temps back up. Is that where you were going? Yeah, one
13: coming back up, a quick moderation thaw free cycle. Another then uh, rain to mixture to snow system coming through west to east uh, out of the Dakotas, northern and central plains, northwestern core belt, uh, Sunday to Monday, uh, cold air and a dump of to the northern Great Lakes region, and there's signs of another significant snow and ice maker mid to late next week, originating over the northern plains, western Corn Belt, swinging on by the upper Midwest. Snow and ice there, and we got to keep an eye on these Corn Belt locales as well. Uh, because we're literally going to go from a drought to a flood. I think that is the issue that we're keeping an eye on uh, with Corn Belt locales. And probably just too much cold, too much moisture, and probably even delayed access. Again, mind you, drought improvement, but delayed access to Springfield or with we fast forward. Especially that Red River Valley area of Minnesota and the Western Great Lakes region as we get deeper into April and May. So that's kind of the snapshot here, fast forwarding on what we expect here late winter and more so into early springtime
1: absolutely for those folks up in south dakota i've been talking to a few cattle producer friends of mine they just cannot get rid of that mud they have been fighting like banshees and that's going to continue folks we've been talking with greg a meteorologist from this week in agribusiness greg as always we appreciate your insight stay safe over these next couple of days yeah thank you mike appreciate it you folks out there do the same and be sure to tune in tomorrow. We'll be talking with our friend Arlen Suderman about what's moving in the commodity markets. We're also getting an update from Mexico on how we're selling beef overseas. Folks, tune in tomorrow for more AOA.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
4: Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake.
5: We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just
4: continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals.
5: For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com.